0: Okay, so how many native Arizonans do we have in the house? Here is your, alright, so the rest of you are transfers. So here's how you know if you have actually been Arizonaized. Uh, number one, if it's 60 degrees outside and you're wearing a parka. (laughs) Hmm. Number two is when it's a rainy day, you're actually happy. And number three is, you catch yourself saying to somebody, Hey, be careful driving in the rain because no one here knows how to drive in the rain you are arizona eyes with all that said that means you have risked life and limb to be here tonight and i am super proud of you and uh well it's just so cool uh, that we're here and we're going to be studying god's uh word together say so, you know, what well, let's have a quick word of prayer uh we're going to dive in uh right away and see how far we can uh get tonight let's pray hey dear lord jesus just be with us meet us in this place Open up our hearts to truth. Help me as I teach. Help me to stay on exactly what you were saying and what you were communicating. Uh, help me to be humble enough to admit moments when it's my impression and my idea. But God, take us somewhere tonight, new in our faith, and our walk, in our journey. But more than that, God, cause us to follow you more closely because we spent this time in Scripture tonight. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, hey. I, all right, so here's what I want to do real quick. I want to do just a real quick overview of how we got here, partly because there's a couple new people in the room, but more than that, and this is why, as we've been going through the book of Romans, we're going to get to a chapter in a couple of weeks that is probably one of the most controversial chapters in all of Scripture. Uh, people have struggled with this chapter for nearly 400 years. And I believe that by understanding the conversation that Paul is having in the book of Romans, having a clear thought of the thread that he is weaving when you get to this chapter it brings so much clarity to the discussion uh, and is so absolutely helpful but if we don't understand if we don't understand the logic of what Paul has been doing and how he's gotten us there then suddenly this chapter can get really cloudy and really confusing for us so let's backtrack for just a moment or two and talk about what we've said to each other um, up until now if you remember we started out in Romans chapter 1 and in chapter 2, and basically, uh, Paul said, hey, everybody is under sin. As he got done with chapters 1 and 2, he then begins to turn to the Jews. And he says to the Jews, and that includes you. Because what Paul knew was the Jews would be saying, oh yeah, well all those heathens, surely uh, they're under sin and in trouble and i get it you know all the moral greeks and even though they live a pretty good life i get why god would condemn them and they have excluded themselves from the congregation because i mean from the conversation because after all they're jews now how does paul know that the jews are thinking that way and thinking that everybody else is in trouble spiritually with god but they aren't how does paul know that about the jews because he was one got to remember Paul grew up as a Jew matter of fact uh, we know that he's part of the sect called the Pharisees and again guys say this out loud we nailed the Pharisees and Jesus nailed the Pharisees but he didn't nail the Pharisees because they were unbiblical he nailed the Pharisees because they did not live out what they knew they had head knowledge and they did not live it out with their lives which the reality is guys isn't that the danger of every single one of us that we would know more about Jesus than we're willing to live about Jesus And that's where Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees. But the reality is, the Pharisees were the Bible scholars of the day. They were the guys who knew the word of God. And Paul, on top of that, is a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the 40 top teachers of his day. And Paul is part of that elite group of theologians. So he understands as he begins this conversation, he can already think ahead and realize every objection the Jews are going to have to this new gospel to them. This this revealing of Jesus Christ as the way of salvation. And so he goes through the book of Romans and he starts to explain and starts to explain. And just about the time he knows he's going to lose the Jews because they're going to go off in, in their own direction, he stops and has a separate conversation with them to say, whoa, 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 this applies to you too. So he does chapter one and chapter two, says everybody's under sin. He turns at the end of chapter two and he has a conversation with the Jews and basically says, you too. We get to chapter three and and Paul begins to say, the way a person gets saved is by faith. Now, as Paul says this, this creates a new dilemma for the Jews because the Jews would have argued that you were saved by works. And so again, knowing that he's about to lose them as an audience, Paul turns to them in chapter 4 and says, Wait, 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 wait. Stop and think about how God has always worked in the life of Israel. Think about Abraham, your father. And what did the Bible say was credited to him as righteousness? His faith think about your father David who was the best king that ever ruled for you and what was said that was so remarkable about David, it was his faith and chapter 4 is a side conversation Whoops, with the Jews helping them understand this whole save by faith idea before they jump ship on him chapter 5 Paul begins to explain how do we get saved and if you remember chapter 5 says everybody got in trouble because everybody was represented before God in the form of one person who was that person that got us in trouble? Adam. You and I have a chance to be righteous you and I have a chance to be saved if we vote Adam off the throne and elect a new representative named Jesus. It's called federal representation. In the same way that Adam represented you in the garden and represented you to brokenness, Jesus represented you to salvation on a cross. It's why you can say, I choose him and he can be your representative as he hangs on a cross dying for your sins because you elected him your representative. Okay? Chapter 5. That's why saved again by grace. When we get to chapter 6... Chapter 6 changes everything because we got saved, you ready? In chapter 5. And in chapter 6, Paul begins to describe the Christian life and how it works, okay? And what he basically says is, hey, now that you're a Christian, Arr, okay, chapter 6, he says you're to count yourself dead to what? Sin and alive To Christ. Some places he says righteousness. Hmm. Okay. So dead in Christ, alive to righteousness. Now here's the part. Here's the last piece that you and I've got to grasp in the moment. Chapters 1 through 5 get you and me to... Okay. There we go. Get you and me to the cross. You and I get saved in chapter 5. We move from pre Christ to having made the decision for Christ in chapter 5. Does that make sense? Nod your heads Because you're going to make me feel better If you nod your head Yes That makes a lot of sense Lynn we got saved in chapter 5 Okay And if you didn't Come see me afterwards We'll help you with that Okay You got saved in chapter 5 Starting in chapter 6 Paul is going to explain Christian living The conversation has now shifted from What does it take to become a Christian To what does it take to be And live like a Christian Okay Chapter 6 on Okay Salvation happens at the cross. Christian living okay, is about becoming like Jesus. What's the, what's the big theological term that we use for becoming like Christ or growing in Christ? Sanctification. So write that down somewhere. You're going to be able to impress somebody someday because you're going to go, "Oh, you know what? I'm working on my sanctification." Yeah, I, you're clearly behind me in your sanctification, but I'm working on mine. Okay. So the rest of Romans is taking us on this journey of Christian living. In the first five chapters, we were looking to the cross. In the remaining chapters, we're looking to. That's Jesus. Alright, we're looking to Jesus because the ultimate goal of every Christian is to become like Christ. The ultimate goal of sanctification is that there's so much Jesus in you that people can't see the you in you because they see him in you. And the ultimate goal for every one of us is to be so Christ-like. Matter of fact, you you realize the very term Christian when it first started out uh, was a demeaning term. Uh, Christians did not call themselves Christians. They called themselves followers of the way. It was pagans who called Christians Christians. Because Christian was, oh, you're just a little Jesus. That's all you are. Just like a little Jesus walking around. Just so sickening. You're just a little Jesus. But Christians being called that said, well, that's exactly what I'm trying to be. And so they accepted it as a badge of honor. No, you're right. I'm a Christian. I'm doing everything I can to be a little Jesus in this world, walking around, being like my Savior. That's what I'm trying to do. This is, and this is the process of sanctification. So here's the part you've got to get as we get launch in tonight. Everything we do now is about how to grow up in Jesus. That's the conversation. We are no longer talking about salvation. We're talking about sanctification. How do you grow up in Christ? Okay, we're good? Nod your heads again so I feel good. All right, one more time. All right, good, there we go. Okay, here we go. All right, so jumping back into the passage, it's Romans chapter six. We almost had Romans six done the other night, but we slid one verse, short of going home and we need to be sure and grab it again real quick. So Romans chapter six, we got all the way down to verse 23, verse 22. So here we go. Romans chapter six, verse 23. Here's what it says. And the reason we had to go back and grab this one for sure is it's probably uh, the most prominent and maybe the most important verse in all of Romans chapter six. Here we go. Uh, It says for the wages of sin is death. What what does scripture mean there when it says death? What death? Do we have our microphone runners here tonight? Yes? Okay. Alright, so you can raise your hand if you've got the answer. What what does it mean by death? What's death? Okay, you guys are all afraid that I'm going to give you a hard time. It's not a sneaky answer, I promise. Okay. Separation from God. Oh, look at that! Okay, and here's what you here's what you got to get is that especially because the concept of death that you and I run into scripture is different than a Western concept of death. When you and I think of death, because we're Westerners, we get super focused on the corpse. We get really weirded out about the body, and when we think of death, to us, everything is about. Well, I mean, there's a there's a dead body there. That, that's death. In the Eastern culture, which gotta remember that's where scripture is being written, death is not focused on the body. It's focused on the idea that the spirit leaves the body, that the spirit is no longer present with us, so it's impossible now to have a relationship with my loved one. Does that make sense? So death is separation from any relationship. It's the loss of the ability. This is why if you've ever you know, heard somebody maybe who comes a little more from a Jewish culture and their kids are being disobedient and all of a sudden the father says to the son, you are dead to me. What's he saying? He's saying I am considering you relationally dead and this is much more the focus so when scripture here says for the wages of sin is death it is saying you and I die a death that results in you and I losing the capacity to have a relationship with God that capacity dies because of sin why? because God cannot be in the presence of sin ever he's holy and sin can't be in his presence So the minute you and I became sinful, we lost the capacity to be in relationship with him. That ability dies, okay? So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, this ability now to have a spiritual resurrection, the ability to now come back into relationship uh, with God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Did you get how it's possible to have a relationship with God in Christ Jesus, our Lord? Why is that statement critical? It's the only way. I don't care what's politically correct. I don't. I don't care. I, I don't care what your friends want to think. You realize scripture is unapologetic to say The only way that a person can have a relationship with God It's not by going up to Sedona and buying some crystals It's not by going and taking some classes under Krishna There is no other way The only thing that can restore the death Is a relationship In Jesus Christ Period Period Matter of fact, okay, grab your Bibles real real quick. Go with me over to John chapter 14, just in case you you think I'm blowing that up a little bit. John's going to be a little to your left. John chapter 14. Because you realize this is exactly what Jesus said. And I'm just going to be, I'm going to be real bold tonight and say it out loud and to say this. If, if you're, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but then turn around and proclaim that people can get to heaven without Jesus. Then you're denying the words of your Savior. Because Jesus said something completely different than that. It's John chapter uh, 14. You, you remember this, the story of doubting Thomas? And you remember uh, Jesus um, uh, appears to them. Uh, And, uh, actually this is before his death and he says, Hey, you just need to know I'm going to go somewhere that you can't come with me right now, but you're going to be able to come there later. Don't worry about this. And Thomas goes, okay, Jesus, you're just being so weird again. I, I, you're doing it. You're doing this really fuzzy, wuzzy, artsy, fartsy talk and I don't get it. And, uh, Finally, Thomas says to him in John chapter 14, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Okay? We don't. You've already confused us. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered. You ready? I am the way. Singular participle. Not a way. I'm the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If that's the case, if the only way that anybody can ever have eternal life and have a relationship with Jesus Christ You realize that you and I know something and understand something that is absolutely critical to this world. And that you and I have friends who do not understand this. And you and I have family members who don't grasp this. And you and I have neighbors who think because their kids are in Cub Scouts, they're okay. And although that conversation that you and I have and may be troubling to them and it it may even be frustrating to them. Worse than that is that you and I never have the conversation and never share with them the opportunity to say, hey, somewhere, somewhere in your life, you've got to figure out Jesus because Jesus is the only answer for what's broken in your life. There aren't other alternatives. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the only way to figure out God. Guys, this is why we send missionaries. This is why we stand up on a Sunday and say, hey, would you give over and above? Would you help us go to orphans in Kenya? Would you help us go to lepers in India? Will you help us do that? Because lepers in India need Jesus. And orphans in Kenya need Jesus. And and some of you are going to be frustrated with me right now, but I'm just going to say it loud because it's something we've got to say to each other. And as much as orphans in Kenya need new shoes, they need Jesus more. And so I am happy to give orphans in Kenya shoes. But I will never give them shoes without telling them I'm giving them to them because Jesus asked me to. And then trying to take the opportunity to tell them about my Savior. And you need to know that lepers in India need food to eat because they can't even earn money to buy themselves food. And I will gladly buy food for lepers in India. But never without telling them about the bread of life. And never without telling them about this Jesus that I know. Because at the end of the day, a leper with a full belly who doesn't know our Jesus is in desperate trouble. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father because they ate a meal. They come to the Father because they discovered Jesus Christ. Okay? Alright. So, go ahead and write your emails. you can be mad. That's good. We'll keep going. Alright. Romans chapter 7. Alright, here we go. Okay, and we remember that uh, we are talking about what topic right now? Sanctification. We're talking about how to grow up in Jesus. So here we go. In chapter 7, Paul is going to begin to give us some illustrations about how we're supposed to be living for Christ. So here we go. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law. Who is he talking to right now? Jews. So watch this guys. Once again, Paul knows that he's about to lose the Jews, that they're about to say, wait a minute, it can't work this way. What are you talking about? And because he has the Jewish background, he's going back to corral them back into the discussion and go, no, no, I understand your objections. I understand where you're struggling. Let me help you out. Okay, and again, you've got to get that this is how the whole book of Romans goes. So, do not do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. So he says, no, no, I get it, guys. I get you were born under the law. I get that you've been following the law of Moses. all your. I get it, I get it. But you realize the law has authority over someone only as long as they're living. For example... By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. You ever notice it, that we say in our marriage ceremonies, I'll be your husband or your wife until death does us part. And after that, you can tell him to go jump in a lake. You know, after he dies, you can do that, right? You're, you're unbound, okay? Alright, but if her husband dies, uh, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. Why? Because she is still bound to her husband. So for her to break that and go have a relationship with another man, that would be committing adultery. But, if her husband dies, and she is released from the law... And is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So you get, I I made that promise, I was under the law, I had that responsibility until death did us part. And here we go, watch verse 4. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to god now watch this because this is a very interesting argument that paul's giving he said hey wait 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 if you put your faith in jesus remember you elected him to be your representative which means he represented you unto death on the cross and the reality is that all of us who are in christ are supposed to have died to what to our old way of life to sin And actually been resurrected to live a new life in Christ. So Paul then says, so think about it. If you died in Christ, you're no longer bound to the law. So he actually kind of turns it backwards. He says, hey, you know, the wife who was still living and the husband died, well, she was free. But he says, the husband who died, he was no longer bound to her anymore either, right? And he says of you and me, because you died in Christ... You are no longer bound to the law. Now, who is this really, really hitting home with right now? The Jewish believers. Because Paul is arguing, you are no longer compelled to keep all those rituals, to keep all of those ceremonial things, because if you became a Christian, if you put your trust in Jesus, you died with him on the cross. And the law is now dead to you. It's an interesting argument. Go to verse 5. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit to death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So he says, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a really cool transformation that happens here. He said when, when you died in Christ. You died to the old way of living. Which was a way under the law. And you now are living a new way. In Christ. Okay. So when you live under the law. Why do you obey the law? So in other words, the Jews had hundreds and hundreds of laws. But why did they obey the law? Fear. What was it? Fear. fear. Under the law, there was always the fear of what? Discipline. Discipline. Punishment. So he says, look, if 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 you were when you were living under the law, you kept the rules of the law. When you drive down the 202, how come you don't drive 95? Fear of discipline. Now, apparently not enough fear because you're driving 85. But, fear, right? It's fear. So, fear under the law says, look, no, 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 I don't want to be caught being a lawbreaker because I don't want the discipline that comes with being a lawbreaker. And you realize that up until the cross, that was the relationship. Israel lived in constant fear of displeasing God and that God would then in turn discipline them for having broken the law. Paul now says, hey, you and I live in a new way in Christ. Fear has been removed. So why do we obey now that we're no longer under the law? And let me even go another step further. Think about this for a second We've talked about this before We've talked about this idea of eternal security We've talked about the idea that If you're a Christian And you've made a decision for Christ Even if you sin You're still a Christian So think about this This could be like a huge get out of jail free card I mean you could sit there and go Oh dude I'm going to watch that And then I'll just go Dear Jesus I'm sorry Put it on the cross And I could sleep with her And I just go, dear Jesus, I'm sorry, put it on the cross Because you're telling me that if I'm a Christian All of my sins are covered I can't stop being a Christian So why don't I just go out and sin like crazy Isn't, Isn't being a Christian like the ultimate get out of jail free card So why in the world would any of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Live like a Christian Why wouldn't we be the biggest pagans in the world We're going to heaven anyways. Okay, so we said it. We're grateful because we love Jesus Christ. And this new thing, this new thing that happens in Christ is that all of a sudden you and I choose to follow Him. And honestly, guys, I think it's one of the geniuses of eternal security. I think it's one of the cool things that God did when He said, Look, okay... You're a Christian, you're going to always be a Christian And if you decide to follow me You're going to follow me because you love me You're going to follow me because You absolutely appreciate and are thankful for what I You're not going to do this out of fear anymore Which guys, I'm just going to say to you Isn't that the purest way? I mean, you think about it There are kids who obey their parents Because they're afraid dad will whack them upside the head but how much cooler when you've got a kid who obeys their parents because they go you know what I just man I just love my parents I would never want to see that look of disappointment in their eyes and so I I just live my life really well because I want to honor my parents isn't that a totally different place to come from And that's the invitation that Jesus now gives to say, look, we're we're not going to live in the old way of fear. This isn't about you thinking you're going to lose your salvation every time you turn around and blow it spiritually. This is about you saying, hey, I'm going to do the right thing right now, even though it's really expensive and it's hard and and cotton picket. Someone's going to misunderstand and I hate that and I'm going to be criticized. I don't care because I love Jesus and I want to honor him and his sacrifice for me. And it's why Paul says this is a completely new way that we're now following him. Isn't that cool? Nod your head so I feel... All right, right, there we go. Okay, it's very cool. Okay, back to the passage, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known sin, uh, what sin was, had I not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was, if the law had not said, "You shall not covet." But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. You ever, you ever seen that? You, you ever dealt with when your kids and you go, "No, don't touch that. Don't no. Don't touch that." And the minute you say that, what's the one thing that kid wants to do? Touch it. Touch it. It's almost like you go, dude, I shouldn't have even said it. If I hadn't even pointed it out, they wouldn't even be thinking about it right now. And that's really what Paul's saying right now. He says, you know, the reality is uh, the law was given so that I'd understand the things that were right and wrong. But the problem was the way I'm wired. The minute God said, don't do that, all of a sudden I wanted to do it. All of a sudden it became like really attractive to me. And I couldn't think about anything else except doing the thing I wasn't supposed to do. Verse 9. Once I was alive apart from the law But when the commandment came Sin sprang to life And I died Remember the wages of sin is death Verse uh, 10 I found that the very commandment That was intended to bring life In other words If you can obey the entire law If you can keep every one of my commands perfectly The truth is you'd be fine You'd be sinless so the very, the very law that was intended to bring life actually, in reality, brought death. It became the very thing that exposed my sin in my life. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the command is holy and righteous and good. Did what was good then become death to me? By no means. So now he's saying, I mean, did God mess us up by giving us the law? That's the question the Jews ask I mean, if, if the law could not bring life and if the law was going to only expose my sin, the Jew is saying, well, hey, wait a minute. Then what good would it be was God like just playing a really horrible joke on me by giving Israel the law? Verse 13 again, did that which was good then become death to me? And he says, by no means, nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as death, uh, as sin, uh, it was used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. So here's what Paul's saying. Guys, guys, guys. The law was never intended to get you to heaven because the reality is none of us was going to be able to ever fulfill the law. But the law still had a huge value in your life because the law exposed the fact that you were sinful. Why is that important? Why? 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 I mean, the truth is, isn't it reality? The the last thing I really want anybody to do is tell me I'm a crud. Right? I mean, when's the last time someone came up and said, well, you're just a jerk. And he went, well, thank you. I needed, I mean, I needed someone to tell me I was a jerk. When's the last time it said, hey, you know what? You just lost your anger. You're totally wrong. And the, your intuitive response was to go, man, you are such a good friend. Thank you for telling me how a horrible person I just was. Thank you. And isn't it the reality that, I mean, that's the last thing we typically want in our life is to actually be exposed and yet, Paul is saying, "No, no, no, no! This is the good thing that the law did for you. Is that it did expose you? It exposed you as a sinner. Why is being exposed as a sinner a good thing?" Hmm. Because it makes you not sin. Because it makes you not sin again. No. If you don't know sinner, you don't Christ. Boom. Boom. Did you get that? If you don't know you're a sinner, you don't know you need a Savior. Let me just say that again, guys. It's a big deal. If you don't know that you're a sinner, you don't know that you need a Savior. Guys, when... You, you've seen us do this all the time at the church so we'll have big days we'll have it like Easter and we'll have um, Christmas time and we'll have friend days where you know on that particular day we're just going to share the gospel we're going to help people as best we can understand you need a Jesus on, on this particular day but you realize that although we have hundreds of decisions on days like that we also have hundreds of people walk out of the room and never make a decision uh, uh, you know why they walk out of the room? Because they don't think they're a sinner. I'm actually a pretty darn good person. I'm way better than my neighbor. And I'm better than the person who invited me to church this Sunday. So I, I, don't, I don't think I need a Savior. Because I think I'm okay. I think, I think I'm better than most. And the wonder of the law, the wonder of this exposure... Is to suddenly come to the understanding that says... Oh my goodness, I'm broken... Because nobody's going to invite a savior in their life who doesn't think they need saving. I got a little story. Some of you guys have probably heard me tell several times. But I still think it's a really powerful story along this line. So I've got a friend who tells the story. So I'm stealing his story. He's in Dallas, and he's sitting at a stoplight. And as he sits at a stoplight, he looks across from the the stoplight. And sitting across is a little red sports car. And as he's sitting there waiting for the light to turn green, there's a lady driving the sports car. He notices that dripping out from under the sports car are drips of flame. Doesn't know what's going on. Either either the car is leaking oil or gas or something, and that's dripping. Or plastic has melted and it's now on fire. He doesn't know, but he can see fire dripping underneath his car. At the same moment that he sees it, a guy standing on the street corner sees the same thing. Sees this woman's car dripping flame and realizes she she's in some serious uh, jeopardy right now. He begins to run out into the intersection toward the lady's car. As he runs toward the car, you got to remember, she has no idea her car is on fire. So all she sees is a big man running toward her car in downtown Dallas. To which she thinks, oh no, I'm going to be carjacked. And so in desperation, seeing the man in absolute terror, she puts on the gas and starts to drive through the red light in order to flee the man. She gets about halfway in. Now all of a sudden her entire engine just envelops in flames. Smoke is flying everywhere. The car stalls in the middle of the intersection. And all of a sudden she goes, oh my goodness. The man gets to the door, pulls the door open. And now she reaches out to the man. As he rescues her and takes her out of the car. Because, 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 you ready for this? If you don't know that you need to be saved. Then a savior looks like an intruder. And not a savior. A savior. And if you don't know that you're a sinner, you don't know that you need a Savior. And so Paul says, hey guys, although the law was really, really caustic, and although the law was very frustrating, the thing the law did for us was expose the fact that we were sinful, and that we were never going to be good enough to make it to heaven, and the fact that we needed a rescue, that we needed a Savior. And in that way, the law, for all of its harshness, for all of its toughness to us was actually a blessing to our lives back to the passage verse 14 Uh, we know that the law is spiritual but I am unspiritual sold as a slave to sin I do not understand what I do for what I want to do I do not do it, but what I hate to do, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law was good or the law was right. She so goes, look, I, I mean, I was trying to be a good person. I was trying to do the right thing. And then all of a sudden I find myself not doing the thing that I knew that I ought to do. This guy basically, he must have been writing this on about January 15th, right after he'd made the New Year's resolution. And he'd stopped going to the gym, right? And he's just going, Man, I, I mean, I, I had great intentions. I mean, I was trying to be the right type of person. But I'm just telling you, the reality is if you, you get down to it, I, I have a lot of good ideas and a lot of good intentions, but I always seem to come up a little bit short I'm going to treat my wife better this year I'm going to spend more time with my kids but then it just doesn't happen as it is it's no longer myself who does it but it is sin living in me for I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature alright what does he mean when he says my sinful nature what is our sin nature What is our sin nature? Selfishness. Okay. All right. When you and I come to Jesus, when we come to the cross, you and I bring something with us. It's the old man. And if you're a woman, then it's the old one. But uh, I didn't want to say that. So it's the old man. There, there, is this, there is this broken part of me that even as I come through the cross, this comes with me. This is why sanctification is even a discussion. Because sanctification is about daily putting this old man to death and letting more of the new man live. It's saying, no, 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 that's who I was before Christ. That's how I behaved before Christ. That's how I thought before Christ. And I'm now going to commit to this new me, this follower of Jesus, this new man in me. And what you need to know, guys, this this, this is a literal war. I mean, think about this for a second. How How is it that you and I have come to know Jesus and yet we haven't become fully mature yet? I mean, the reality is, I mean, think about it. If you and I fully got it, hey, I got saved, Jesus did all this for me. Why didn't we the next day become a perfect Christian? Because the old man in us still desiring some of the things that we did before we came to Jesus is still alive and well. And is still wrestling in our lives. It's why when our old friends come up to us and say, Hey, don't you remember when? We go, Yeah, that was good. It wasn't good. You were throwing up on the floor and you were on the... It wasn't good. But the old man goes, Oh, it was good. It was good. <laughs> and you and I spend the rest of our lives putting the old man to death. And guys, I'm just going to... Give you an, this can either be an encouragement to you or a discouragement. You realize Paul is probably the best Christian to walk on the face of this earth. And he's telling you, I'm struggling with this. So the encouragement is, is that for some of us in the room, they're going, man, I couldn't figure out why, why do I keep doing that stupid stuff? Well, welcome to Christianity. Welcome to following Jesus. That's just, all of us are dealing with this. All of us are trying to put the old man to death. The discouraging part is guys, that this side of heaven, you'll never quite get it done. You won't. There will always be a piece of the old man. That you will daily, daily, daily have to kill again. The hope is this. That you are so successful at that. That you end up being in a place where there's so much of Jesus in you. And so little of the old man in you. That others don't notice. And you're so successful at putting the old man to death. That he... Has very few victories in your life Back to the passage For I have the desire to do what is good But I cannot carry it out For I do not do the good I want to do But the evil I don't want to do This I keep on doing Now if I do what I do not want to do It is no longer I who do it But it's sin living in me That does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. He says, and I'm telling you, if you knew my heart, my heart is to do exactly what Jesus wants me to do. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind. And making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me what a wretched man i am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death thanks be to god who delivers me through jesus christ our lord so then i myself in my mind am a slave to god's law but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin so here's what he's saying he's saying hey look i am telling you i'm I'm committed to this, I'm dedicated to this idea of following Jesus, but I'm going to tell you it is a daily, every hour wrestling match in my life. And again, he's talking about this topic of sanctification. He's describing exactly what you and I uh, wrestle with in our lives. It's what happens every Sunday morning, we wake up and go, crumb, church again. The preacher's just going to talk about money this week. Why am I going? Why am I going? The kids are spiritual enough. Let them watch cartoons. It's, it's, it's that thing that we wrestle with over and over and over. Oh, you know what? It's 12 o'clock at night. I haven't read my Bible yet. I know I ought to read my Bible. Ah, I'll read it twice tomorrow. Okay. And I, you know, it's, it's what we all do, right? It's that struggle that we constantly have in our life to follow Christ. And, and... Paul is now going to take us on the journey to say, let me explain to you how I've gotten to the right side of this wrestle. Let me explain to you as I follow Jesus, as I'm growing in my relationship with Christ, how I tend to have more victory than I do defeat. Okay? And again, he's moving us further in this conversation about sanctification. Okay, look at this, guys. We are doing world record. We did a whole chapter already. All right, here we go. How much time do we have? About 15 minutes. Okay, here we go. Chapter 8. I want you to mark this in your calendars, guys, because this is amazing. Chapter 8, starting in uh, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, guys, this is good news, because... Paul has just admitted and said, look, I'm just gonna tell you, I don't follow Jesus the way that I want to follow Jesus. And if I'm not careful, I could beat myself up every single day over what a crummy Christian I am. But I don't do that because the reality is, I have been set free in Christ. And so instead of dwelling on my failure and dwelling on what I didn't do, I instead renew my resolve to simply follow Jesus better today than I did yesterday. And guys, what he's explaining is simply this. There is no Christian that you know who got saved and then immediately became the perfect follower of Jesus Christ. There is no one who has ever done that because every one of us has ended up in this wrestling match with our old selves, our sinful nature. And that what happens in this and the way we make progress is by every day getting up and simply saying, I want to try to follow Jesus better today than I did yesterday. I want to be that one step closer in obedience and love and faithfulness to Him. It's coming and saying, hey, you know what? I know, I know there's something in my life that God would like to take control of. And so my commitment today is to take that thing, which I have up until now, reserved for myself and lived in disobedience. And today, I'm going to live with that thing in surrender. So that I'm that much, I'm just that much further in my walk with Christ. It's daily choosing to put to death the old man and to step a step further into the new man and into more Christ-likeness. Now, here's the deal. There's some of us in this room, and you go, well, in, I know, I know, I know I'm not perfect, but the, you know, here's the reality. I've, I've only got like two or three things that need to get fixed in my life. You know, just there's just you know, I've got two or three pretty pretty legitimate sins But I figure i've got probably the next 20 30 years to get done with those And so I I figure if maybe like once a decade I get rid of one of those sins I, I'm gonna make it i'm gonna be pretty good at the end So let me give you some bad news As you and I get closer to christ as you and I begin to see life through his eyes instead of our old eyes, you you realize that suddenly things that right now you look at and go, oh, ah, oh, that's okay. There, there'll be a day you'll look at that very same thing and say, oh my goodness. I, I can't believe I used to do that. I can't, I can't believe I used to say those things out loud. I can't believe I treated people like that. But right now, because you're infantile in your walk, because you're, not, you're maybe juvenile in your walk, or maybe adolescent in your walk, those things don't even look bad to you. And I'm just going to tell you, the closer you get to Christ, suddenly there'll be things that you never, never even thought you had to work on or needed to surrender or needed, needed to lay at the foot of the cross that suddenly you'll go, oh my goodness. I can't believe I've lived this many years of my life with that on my back and with that I, I, I just look like the biggest hypocrite in the world that I would call myself a follower of Christ and go to movies like that that I would call myself a follower of Christ and I, I would tell jokes like that and I'm just going to tell you guys if, even if in, somehow you've kidded yourself to say I don't have that far to go yeah you do <laughs> yeah you do but the only way you're going to know that is as you get closer and closer to Christ and suddenly things become more and more important Am I telling the truth? Okay. Back to the passage. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness, righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And here's what he's just simply saying this moment. Saying, look, you realize you and I are no longer obligated to live as slaves to the flesh or to live to the old way of life because the reality is Jesus bought you from that old way of life. He paid the price for you, and you no longer have to live that way. Here's what's amazing to me about this whole struggle that you and I have in our lives. And and this incredible attraction that we have to still live worldly lives. Isn't it true that when you and I came to Jesus, we came to Jesus because that way of living wasn't working? I mean, isn't it true that we were going, man, my relationships are screwed up and and my finances are a mess and my marriage is just just off the cliff. And and Isn't the reason we came to Christ is that because living that style of life in that old way of thinking was what got us in the mess in the first place? And then suddenly as we come to Christ and we start to experience a little bit of freedom, suddenly we go, man, I'm missing so much of that. That was so wonderful. That was just amazing. All those people that hated me and all the... That was just great. That was the best time of my life. How do we do that? How do we go back and glorify that thing that was so broken? That thing that we couldn't wait to be delivered from. How does that ever become attractive again? Hmm. Alright, grab your Bibles real quick. Let me see if I can find this verse. It's First Peter. See if I get lucky here. Ah, there we go. All right. I'm better than I thought. Here we go. 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. Here's what it says it's like for a Christian that goes back to living the old way of life. This isn't this is the Bible, it's not me. Okay? It's the Bible. Keep your emails. Second Peter chapter 2, verse we'll start in verse 21 it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them of them the proverb is true a dog returns to its vomit and a sow to its wash that is washed returns to wallowing in the mud see I, I just don't get it I don't get I don't get once you've tasted Christ why in the world would any of us go back why? 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 That's death. Remember, that's death. So I'll finish with this: I am the most unreligious pastor you've ever met. I'm just i i, I have the capacity to be a world class sinner. I man, I'm just telling you. The reason I am a pastor is because when Jesus got a hold of me that thing was so real my life was so transformed by what christ did in me that i could shut up to tell other people about the real thing that i had found and it's not because i was intuitively religious it's because what happened to me was truth beyond deniability And if I found that truth, I had to be willing to share that truth. I would suggest the same is true of you. If you have been truly affected by Jesus Christ, then that does not belong in your life anymore. That is death. And you ought to be willing to say out loud without apology, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, whether that bothers you or not. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your word and thank you for what it does in our lives. God, thank you that a guy like Paul, who is an amazing Christian, had the willingness to be transparent and honest with us and say, dude, this is hard for me. I find myself over and over and over again wanting to serve God better, wanting to do more, and I find myself stumbling. But God, we're encouraged because Paul never gave up. Paul absolutely set his face to following you in obedience. And he ends up following you to the place of actually being martyred. For the sake of the gospel. And God I just pray for us in this room. That we would have what Paul had. That we'd have that same determination that says. If if I fall down seven times I'll get up eight. Because I am absolutely committed in my life to following Jesus. Or dying trying. And this we pray in your precious name. Amen. Thank you guys.